0: Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up.
1: And we are glad that you are here for the Wednesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We do have three Martinis for you today, but not in the usual way. Instead of our traditional three topics, we're happy to welcome in a very special guest, former four-term Connecticut Senator Joe Lieberman. Of course, he was also the Democrats' nominee for vice president in the year 2000. Today, we want to have a conversation with Senator Lieberman about his contention that Russia and Iran are the greatest geopolitical threats to the United States. We also are going to talk about some others that could or maybe should be on that list. We also want to get his insights into the current state of politics in Washington and beyond and whether there is such a thing as a big tent anymore. And Senator Lieberman, thanks so much for being with
2: us. Uh, Great to be with you, and uh, I suppose I'm somewhat relieved that the three martini lunch is just a reference to three topics, but it's a story from right at the beginning of my political career. I had begun to run for state senator uh, in New Haven, Connecticut, in a primary against the Democratic incumbent, and I was told I should go see the local uh, political boss so uh, I didn't know him, but I I knew somebody who did know him, and I uh, I called my friend Dennis and I said, Dennis, what advice do you give me about uh, going to see John Golden? So he said, uh, go in the morning. So <laughs> I, 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 you know I'm all up twenty-seven. I say, what do you mean? He said, he has a three-martini lunch. If you go in the afternoon, remember what was said. So <laughs> there you go.
1: Excellent. Well, before we dive into your column, Senator, since Jim is from National Review, it's worth mentioning that when you first ran for U.S. Senate in 1988 against Republican Lowell Weicker, that National Review founder William F. Buckley Jr. endorsed you and may have even contributed to your campaign. How much do you think his support mattered in pulling off a win on the same night that uh, was a pretty good night for Republicans otherwise?
2: Yeah, I I think it really was critically important. I mean, it, it was an unusual turn of events. So, I went to Yale, and I was the editor of the Yale Daily News. And uh, Bill had gone to Yale, oh, I forgot, 12, 13, 14 years before, but he he really continued an interest in the Yale Daily News, and he was a kind of big brother to people who were active on it. So I got to know him in that regard, and, and we, we saw each other once or twice a year. He lived in Stamford, Connecticut, where I was from, uh, although I, I settled in New Haven, Anyway, he called me up after I I, I I ran against Lowell Weicker, who was the incumbent Republican. And shall we put it uh, mildly, an idiosyncratic Republican, had been, <laughs> uh, had been aggressively uh, anti-Reagan in some regards, particularly on foreign policy. And uh, early in 1988, the election year, I get a call from Bill Buckley. I, I would try to impersonate that priceless voice and I might try it. but uh, Joe yeah I, I'm thinking of endorsing you do you think it would end your campaign I said <laughs> no I, I let me think about it bill but uh, he said please understand you know I admire you and I like you but I I would only endorse you because I disagree Eyes, Lowell Weicker. <laughs> <laughs> well, who did it, really? But yes, you know. he did endorse me. And, uh, uh, and this—if they ever make a movie movie of that election, his wife, both now deceased, Pat Buckley, was an elegant, tall lady. And after the uh, after that that election campaign, which I won, they invited me over to the and my wife over to their house in Stanford for dinner to celebrate and. Um, she gone out with their butler uh, Julian, who was English, and they had passed out uh, bumper stickers for me at the supermarkets in Stanford. And I thought, what a picture, this grand dame! <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, the bumper stickers, incidentally, um, were uh, produced by the pack that Bill set up uh, for that campaign, which he called. Buck pack. And uh, he said that uh, it didn't raise much, maybe any money, but he announced that it was open uh, for membership by anyone in the state of Connecticut whose name was Buckley. Anyway, <laughs> too many good stories, but I will tell you that he, he wrote, oh, I think a couple of columns uh, explaining why he was for me and why he hoped people would vote for me against Weicker. And uh, toward the end of the campaign, there were a couple of really significant uh, columns written, one by George Will and another by Paul Gigo, which I think, in the Wall Street Journal, which I think really had an effect on my my vote. And other um, uh, was saying to basically Republicans who didn't like Weicker, it's okay if you vote for Lieberman. He, you know, he's not a communist, and he's better... Then Weicker, and we'll get rid of Weicker. So I never asked Bill. Maybe I did, and he just laughed and raised his eyebrows. But I, I really believe that he uh, stimulated those columns by George Will and Paul Gigot because you know he was the uh, sort of the Godfather, if you will, of the whole uh, conservative movement at that time, and uh, obviously he had yep. great effect. Yeah, yep. great effect, sure.
0: So, Senator, um, I think the the impetus to have you on this program came, you wrote in the Wall Street Journal, January 2nd of this year. The headline is, 2022's biggest challenges come from Russia and Iran. And we discussed this on our podcast, and we generally were supportive. But my initial thought was, did he he forget about China? What's China got to do to get onto that list? And my understanding was not an er an erroneous omission. Uh, I, I think we all would agree Russia and Iran are threats. I think the only question is, you know. With the Olympics coming up, who takes gold? Who takes silver? Who takes uh, bronze? So, walk right. us through your thinking on why Russia and Iran are the top two, and maybe why you aren't—you know—you wouldn't necessarily put uh, China in the top two.
2: Yeah, so that's a really good question—a thoughtful question. Really, uh, in my opinion, the, the, there's two great power challenges to us, which are China and Russia over the years ahead, and then Iran is a special challenge because it's such a a rogue extremist uh, nation, and uh, North Korea is in a different way a challenge. Well, the first reason I focused on Russia and China is because I really do believe they're a more immediate uh, threat to uh, American security and and world security and and our allies' security than uh, China is. I think China represents a longer-term threat Um, I know people worry that that, uh, uh, China under Xi Jinping will, for instance, take um, aggressive action, even uh, at the extreme, invade Taiwan, but I I don't think that's probable or even uh, possible in the near future. So part of focusing on Russia and Iran was to say these two, this year— are gonna be the big threats to us. Maybe ultimately, if if they're not handled right, uh, bigger than the threats we're all focused on domestically, which is uh, COVID-19 and uh, inflation and uh, the economy. Um, I must admit there's also there a sort of warning, which I probably could have stated if I had more space explicitly, which is for many people, uh American foreign policy is really should really now be all about China and we should be totally uh China focused and I I think that's not only a mistake but it's it's highly risky uh because of the threats represented by uh, Russia, Iran, North Korea, continuing Islamist uh, terrorist threats uh et cetera. So so that's why I Uh, Part part, uh, a recognition of the urgency of the the threat represented by these two countries, and then part to say, hey, uh, China's a a challenger to us, but a different kind of big power challenger over the long term. And in my opinion, unlikely to represent a a real military security threat in the near term, certainly not this year, which I think Russia and Iran both um, may be. More with
1: Senator Lieberman in just a moment, but uh, look, we've got good news also, not just about uh, calling out the major threats to this country, which are not good, but the fact that we're aware of them is good. Uh, There's also good news when it comes to those of you dealing with thinning hair. Fortunately, Jim and I are not in that boat, but we know it's an issue that a lot of folks are facing and they'd like to change. But the good news is that you no longer have to choose between natural remedies and those that actually work. There's actually a holistic solution for men that promotes both healthier hair and whole body wellness without either drugs or prescriptions. Did you know that there are five root
0: causes for thinning hair? Nutrafol is the hair supplement that goes beyond genetics to target stress, hormones, nutrition, metabolism, and environmental factors that may be impacting your hair. Nutrafol is clinically shown to improve hair growth, thickness, and visible scalp coverage without compromise. And the 21 potent natural ingredients promote better sleep and less stress as well. In a clinical study, men showed progressive improvement in hair growth and thickness after three months and six months. And Nutrafol is also trusted
1: and recommended by more than 1,500 top doctors. You can grow thicker, healthier hair and support the 3 Martini Lunch by going to Nutrafol.com and entering the promo code MARTINI. Martini to save $15 off your first month's subscription. This is their very best offer anywhere, and it's only available to U.S. customers for a limited time. Plus, free shipping is included on every order. Get $15 off at Nutrafol.com. That's spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com. promo code Martini. Back to the interview. Jim, take it away. Senator, this is one of those questions where I hope we are
0: not overtaken by events by the time this gets posted online. Uh, But the first thing that comes to mind is, how likely do you think it is that Russia will invade Ukraine, uh, either, you know, in the not-too-distant future? And kind of a related question, how do you feel President Biden and his administration have been handling Vladimir Putin in their, you know, roughly first year in office?
2: Yeah, so um, how likely is it? Uh, Honestly, we're all speculating, but... um, I'm just as we have learned from history uh, over the last century, if not uh, earlier, when people uh, say things that are threatening or do things that are threatening, you have to assume that they're going to follow through on what they say or seem to be ready to do. And in Putin's case, um, all the things he said about the the catastrophe of the collapse of the Soviet Union, his own... um, clear feeling that Ukraine is simply p- almost part of Russia, certainly part of the Russian bloc. It's something to take quite seriously. It, look, he's a he's a bully. He may be uh, uh, posturing to try to get us to knuckle under to uh, not all of his demands, which are outrageous, but uh, some of them, which would be a step backward. And frankly, and this goes to the uh, Biden far- foreign policy, that The Biden administration has been talking tough with Putin, threatening actions which are significant, both economic and military, although I think they could even threaten and do more. But the question is, does Putin uh, believe them? And this is in the context of just one year of the Biden administration, but in foreign policy, uh, the most noteworthy, and in my opinion, Um, uh, terrible uh, event was the uh, retreat from Afghanistan, which um, I'm happy to talk about, but I thought was a mistake in policy because the war was over. We were just there performing a kind of counterterrorism, moral support role. And uh, so it was a mistake to pull out, but it was also done in a way that was uh, embarrassingly chaotic, and I, I think the people like Putin and people like Xi Jinping and maybe people like the uh, Supreme Leader of Iran, Khamenei, uh, it said that uh, two things. The, the Americans are, are no longer uh, willing or even able to be global leaders. They don't really want to be. But Biden, and Biden wants to focus on domestic policy. So let's uh, uh, seize this moment of opportunity. And uh, expand our own spheres of influence and, and uh, control. And I, so I think that uh, I think Putin is testing Biden right now. Hmm. And uh, it's critically important for American security and world security that uh, that the Biden administration does not blink.
0: I was going to say, Senator, I wasn't going to get into Afghanistan, but since you brought it up, I do have a couple of questions on that. Um, you and, and sure. President Biden served in the Senate together for a lot of years. I, I assume you feel like you know him pretty well. Are you surprised yeah. by how he handled Afghanistan? Are you surprised by what you're seeing from him? Do you feel like he's changed from the guy you used to know? Or do you look at him and say, oh, yeah, this is the Biden I'm, I'm familiar with and I remember?
2: Yeah, I mean, I am surprised overall. And, and um um, because he, he was certainly an internationalist i mean he was the head of the uh, senate foreign relations committee the ranking democrat and chairman for a number of years i think particularly of his response to the war and the uh, genocide in the balkans after the soviet union collapsed when a really strong bipartisan group came together to try to encourage first president bush 41 and then President Clinton to take action to stop this in uh, post-Cold War Europe. Uh, And so Biden was a leader in it. I was proud to be part of a a foursome and the two Republicans were Bob Dole and and John McCain who were the best, really. So there's a case of of strong principle international leadership, but I must say, uh, uh, it was pretty well known that um, Vice President Biden was urging President Obama to really pull out, pull back from Afghanistan. So what he did, I, I, I was not totally a surprise in Afghanistan, but honestly, it was so self-evidently a mistake. To the extent that we learned that a couple of months before the withdrawal last summer, President Biden actually told Putin or asked Putin if it was okay if he relocated some of the American counter-terrorism uh, effort that was centered in Afghanistan to neighboring countries in that region, which were arguably uh, Russian allies. And Putin naturally said, no, it's not okay. Mm. Uh, and that was that. So he saw the problem coming, but still executed it and executed it in a terrible way. And I, I must say, though, though I know it's been a tough time to be president with COVID and, and all the rest. Uh, if you look at the polling on President Biden, it really began to drop after uh, the, the botched uh, withdrawal from Afghanistan. And I think it um, it said to the American people that uh, this, this administration just wasn't competent. And it's a little bit like what happened with President Bush 43 after Hurricane Katrina, but he recovered from it, and uh, so far uh, Biden has not.
1: Senator Lieberman, I just want to follow up on a a couple of things that you mentioned. First of all, on China, you don't think it's an imminent threat in a lot of different ways. We have seen them move pretty aggressively, though, in particular towards Hong Kong. Uh, There's also the ongoing repression, detention, some would say genocide uh, against the Uyghurs, and they've certainly been saber-rattling towards Taiwan. So why do you not think, uh, given at least the perception that the United States might not be in a strong position to push back, that they're not going to continue down that uh, fairly aggressive path in the very near future?
2: Yeah, well, that's a very fair question. Look, uh, in saying that, I don't think China is uh, as immediate a threat to American and world security as Russia and Iran. It, it doesn't mean I don't think they're a threat. Sure. Uh, and they are they are a big challenge. They're a great power. Their economy is big. Uh, they have an enormous uh, uh, population. But uh, and, and they've taken action that's so inconsistent with our values and our interest in Hong Kong and the Uyghurs, just as you say, and it's become a society that's constantly under surveillance uh, by its own, its people by its own uh, government. But I think that the, the economy there is unsettled enough. Uh, Xi Jinping is now coming up to this re-election moment for an unprecedented third term. They're they're patient. Unfortunately, they have a long history, and I think he will continue to um, be involved in all the bad behavior that you've uh, you've, uh, described, but uh, I don't think he wants to actually get into a a military conflict situation in which the U.S. might get involved. Now, I will say this. If Russia, for instance, uh, moves into Ukraine, and we in some way get engaged in that, or there's no agreement in the nuclear talks with iran in vienna Uh, let's say the the israelis and the arabs supported by the arabs uh, strike at iran's nuclear uh, facilities and there begins to be uh, open conflict in the middle east at least to the extent that iran is firing more of their drones and um, uh, authorizing more terrorist attacks by its proxies you know it's possible that uh, the chinese would be tempted to to strike at Taiwan while, we, while they think we are distracted in Russia or um, the Middle East. But even then, and of course that would be a very hostile act, I think they're more likely to take incremental action such as seizing islands around uh, Taiwan or occupying them rather than actually um, moving into the, the Taiwanese mainland. But I'm I'm making... <laughs> an estimate, if you will, Sure. I guess, based on my own years of experience here, and I think that, uh, therefore that the immediate threat for all those reasons is not from China. It's the big long-term threat, but not the immediate threat this year.
1: Last question on the foreign policy. We'll get into uh, what's going on with American politics in, in just a moment, Senator. Sure. And we're talking with uh, former Connecticut Senator Joe Lieberman, 2000, Democratic vice presidential nominee. And, uh, sir, we haven't talked too much specifically about Iran One of the things Jim and I have talked about on the podcast in a number of different ways is our frustration with how uh, recent administrations, particularly Obama and Biden, have addressed this. It seems like we're more eager for the deal than Iran is, and uh, we kind of made concessions to them, certainly back at Vienna in 2015, as opposed to the sanctions forcing Iran into making some very painful decisions. So uh, what do you make of the approach we've seen in terms of pursuing a deal and what's in the deal?
2: Well, I I totally agree with uh, what what you two um, have said about uh, Iran. Um, First, you gotta look back at their history. I mean, this is an extremist, uh, anti-American, expansionist, terrorist regime. And their uh, reputation for not keeping agreements is uh, uh, quite strong and based on uh, evidence. So, it uh, it, always, it seemed to me, certainly during the Obama period, that the thought that, um, that they could make a, a good agreement with Iran by lifting the sanctions that generations of us in Congress, across party lines, had adopted to put the pressure on Iran so they would stop their nuclear program, not just to put the brakes on it for a while, uh, was just misplaced. And it was naive, really. You know, at one point in that round of negotiations leading up to the 2015 Iran nuclear agreement, the Supreme Leader Khamenei said publicly that it is evident to him that the United States wants an agreement more than Iran does. And uh, the truth is, Iran needed an agreement, which lifted sanctions. They never wanted to give up their nuclear program. But they were right that America, for a host of reasons, seemed to want an agreement more than they did. And, of course, that's no way to enter a negotiation. I thought it was a bad agreement, and I was was, uh, just thrilled, uh, I suppose surprised too, but thrilled when President Trump withdrew America from the agreement. And I do worry now that even with Iran being led by this uh, Raisi, more extreme than any president, that iran has had and continuing their aggression including firing drones at u.s military personnel in the region and at our allies in saudi arabia and the uae that there's no basis for thinking that they're any more willing to make a good agreement with the u.s than they were in 2015 so the only way uh to to deal with these people i mean somebody The head of an intelligence agency least, once said to me years ago that the only way the Islamic Republic of Iran will stop its nuclear weapons development program is if they conclude that that is the only way they can save their regime. In other words, it would have to be a minute before midnight and they think, this is it. If we don't stop the nuclear program, we're out and then they would do it. But we're unfortunately, we're not there, certainly not the way P5 plus one, including the U.S., are negotiating with Iran. So I think there's real danger there. Well, the international challenges, Jim, are certainly exhausting.
1: And we'll talk to Senator Lieberman in just a moment about the domestic challenges in his own party and beyond. But uh, if you need to rest up a little bit or just get really comfortable as you listen to the rest of the podcast, Grab a MyPillow or the Giza Dream Sheets. Uh, The towels are also fantastic, but right now they're really focusing on the fantastic deal you can get on the new MySlippers. Because right now, when you use our promo code, Martini, you can get 40% off their new MySlippers at MyPillow.com.
0: Now, these just aren't any slippers. They've spent two years in development to ensure the highest quality and comfort. The MySlippers are designed to be worn all day, if you like, indoors, outdoors, wherever you feel most comfortable. They're available in moccasin or slip on style and available in a variety of colors and sizes. And the My Slippers are made with quality leather suede and the exclusive three tier cushioning system. This has the My
1: Pillow patented fill, the Impact Gel, and the Memory Foam. For a limited time, the new My Slippers are 40% off. Go to mypillow.com and click on the Radio Listener Square. Do not forget that part. Enter the promo code Martini or call 800-874-0104. Now while you're there, do take advantage of the deep discounts on all My Pillow products, including the Giza Dream bed sheets, the My Pillow mattress topper, and the My Pillow towel sets. You can only save that 40% though on the new My Slippers with our promo code Martini. So use that promo code Martini when you call 800-874 104 or when you go to mypillow.com. Senator, let's move now to uh, domestic politics, and particularly uh, groupthink and versus independent think uh, in, in politics today. You certainly were out on an island uh, within your party at various points. Uh, certainly over the Iraq War. I also remember you uh, opposing the public option in Obamacare. You ultimately voted for the final package, but uh, made sure that the public option was not in there. And I'm sure you most endeared yourself to your party when you endorsed John McCain in 2008. But but uh, uh, so now that you see folks like Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema. Taking slings and arrows uh, for standing up for the filibuster, and, and, and in the case of Mansion, at least I don't know if Cinema ever said what uh, her final position was on that Build Back Better bill, but um, a lot of venom uh, going towards Cinema uh, and Mansion in a evenly divided Senate. So you know better than most what they're standing in right now. So so what do you make of the current debate, and right. and and where are we in terms of where you're allowed to think in your own party?
2: As I said to Joe Manchin personally uh, a while ago, I feel your pain, buddy. I've been through <laughs> this, and uh, just in that kind of group interaction, there's so much groupthink to use your word, which is a good one, in both parties. And if you separate from it, and and you're still going to that party caucus every week, and you're going to the party policy meetings every week, you, you become really you're an outsider. And it's no fun, but you know what? I look back on those um, situations you described, and uh, I wouldn't have done it any other way because I felt like I felt like I was doing what I thought was right for the country uh, or for my constituents. And um, ultimately, that's the test you have to apply to yourself. you can't, you get to a point at where you have to say to yourself, "I think in uh, Congress or whatever other elected position you have." So, so when this is over, what am I going to look back and say I played it safe, I, I followed the uh, group, and I got reelected three or four times, or really we want to say, I, you know, I did what I thought was right for my country, not just for my party or some ideological or interest group. So I, I really admire, uh, Mansion and Cinema, uh, and appreciate what they're doing. I think it's critically important. I think they happen to be right on the substance, but just the idea of what they're doing, which is standing up against, you know, a kind of mass group think. And it's just not uh, its not logical. And the, the other thing going on here is that I was privileged to be in the Senate 24 years. I had a chance to do a lot of things that I feel good about. I certainly didn't succeed at everything I try to do. But, but every one of the things that, that I feel like I helped accomplish was always with Uh, Republicans. They were always bipartisan. That's the way to get things done, because you need 60 votes in the Senate. And and that's one of the reasons why I think the filibuster is good, because it encourages um, bipartisanship. But the truth is, if you adopt big measures, when members of only one party supporting them, probably when the other party takes control of Congress, which they inevitably do, those programs are going to be in jeopardy. Uh, in a way, that's the story of the Iran nuclear agreement. Uh, totally an executive branch uh, move, uh, n- no bipartisanship on it, and it just made it easy for President Trump, who didn't agree with the agreement, to withdraw us. And uh, it, it, that's not the way it ought to be.
1: Two quick questions before we let you go here, Senator Lieberman. First of all, we've seen some sort of hinting in reports that while Manchin and cinema seem to be relatively alone. They have each other, so they're not technically alone. But there are others behind the scenes who who agree with them but aren't willing to come forward and say so uh, for whatever reason. Did you find that same situation in, in the issues where you were kind of out there at least publicly on an
2: island? I did. I mean, uh, on, the, on this whole Democratic push to defund, talk about defunding the police, defund the American military on the battlefield in iraq Mm. uh it turned out on one occasion uh, i was a decisive vote i was the only democrat who voted against it but i will tell you on the public option which i felt very strongly about which was to me a foot in the door toward national health insurance national governmental controlled health care which which i don't think is good for the american people and and really they don't want uh there were three or four or five other democrats who were urging me on a couple of them more quietly than I uh, said so publicly, so I, I knew I wasn't alone, was set, well, that encouraged me. Even though the media uh, and still the left wing holds me accountable for the fact that there was no public option in, in Obamacare, I am sure that that is true for uh, mansion and cinema. Uh, certainly on the Build Back Better bill, and also on the filibuster, and probably gives them an encouragement. But it also uh, should make us and and our colleagues in the Senate even more appreciative of their guts in going out there and uh, taking the the tough, independent, principled stand.
0: Senator, just uh, thinking back to those fights about military funding and the public option, some time has passed. you want to name any names? Because i got some suspects. I have some Democratic senators who I think might have agreed with you, but... uh
2: Oh, well, on the public option, I can tell you, uh, Ben Nelson of Nebraska definitely uh, did.
0: The Cornhusker kickback. Uh, yes, okay. That was the top of my list of suspects.
2: <laughs> Mark Pryor of Arkansas definitely did, and I'm pretty sure Blanche Lincoln did, too. At different times during that year, uh, though it was a little more nuanced, Max Focus was the chairman of the finance committee. Mm-hmm. You know, they amendment uh, for a public option when Obamacare went through that committee, and it was defeated. And Borkas said to the press, if the public option, uh, government health care, is on this uh, bill, it's not going to pass. So that wasn't exactly I'm against it, but he was saying uh, uh, this is not going to work if that's on it. So there's a few names for you to put up there in the pantheon of uh, uh, independent thinkers.
1: Very good, very good. Last question, sir. Any tips for Republicans on defeating Ned Lamont? Ah,
2: I, I don't. Uh, you know, who knows? Uh, the general feeling in Connecticut seems to be that uh, uh, Governor Lamont has done a pretty good job uh, handling the, the COVID nineteen. But uh, you know, there's as much uh, unsettled feeling and unhappiness about government in Connecticut as anywhere else. So I'd say. Um, Lamont is probably the favorite going into the year, but uh, events could happen uh, that can make it a lot closer as it goes on. So uh, stay tuned, as they say.
1: No doubt. Yeah, governor's races in New England seem to have a, a more competitive feel to them than the ones that, that send people to Washington, to be sure.
2: Well, we, we've had Republican governors for big stretches of the time, even while the Democrats had many more registered voters than Republicans. But the key here is that the the largest... Uh, voting group in connecticut and now around the country uh, are uh, independents so uh, if they come together in one way they can uh, determine how the elections come out Uh, they've done that in connecticut and you know uh, it's going to be interesting to see where they go in the 2024 presidential election but uh, nationally but Maybe I'll come back and we'll talk about that later.
1: That'd be great. We'd love to have you back. Senator Lieberman, terrific to have you with us. Thanks for your time. Thank you for an enlightening conversation.
2: Well, thank you both. I really enjoyed it. Maybe once we'll go out for a real one martini lunch.
1: <laughs> Sounds good. I'd I enjoy that. Sounds great. Thank, thank you, you, sir. Jim, a lot of topics, and uh, I think we got uh, even more from him than we expected. So a fun conversation. Enjoy. If you'd said to
0: me back in the year 2000... You're going to have a conversation with the guy you just voted against, who obviously, look, you know, the Iraq War uh, changed the way a lot of folks on the right see Senator Lieberman. Ned Lamont changed the way a lot of uh, folks on the right see Senator Lieberman, and the 2008 campaign, you know, like. Particularly on foreign policy, he you know drifted to the right and end up in a situation where a lot of folks on the right. So I always kind of liked him, but he is you know he's as funny as we remember. It's a good
1: way of putting yeah, it. Yeah, so, absolutely. He's yeah. Uh, he's he's great to talk to. And now, of course, that he's off the line. My next question is: Did you ever imagine that George W. Bush and Dick Cheney would be the Democrats' two favorite Republicans? Right
0: now? <laughs> <laughs> so. you remember all the chimpy McBush Hitler? You know, yes. You know, and Darth Vader. And, you know. Yeah. My hope, by the way, like for all those people who want to see some sort of. Um, unlikely scenario in which the Democrats give up uh, and and you know are so frightened of Trump they don't run Biden, they don't run Kamala Harris. My dream would that they run uh, you know congresswoman Cheney and that she would select I don't know maybe Texas Commissioner George P. Bush. Um, so the Democratic ticket in 2024 would be Cheney Bush. And uh, getting all the Democrats to say we uh, all right, actually they could flip space so you know Bush Cheney twenty twenty
1: four Bush Cheney 20, from the Democratic convention
0: I just think would be fantastic I think it'd
1: be- that would be quite a generational shift right there to be to, to be sure yeah. uh, anyway great great day and uh, tomorrow our usual fare Jim I'll see you tomorrow see you tomorrow Greg Jim Garrity National Review I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America thanks so much for being with us today do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already uh, thank you as always for your kind reviews and your five-star ratings. Please keep those coming. Get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play 3 Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Wednesday, and please join us on Thursday for the next 3 Martini Lunch.